0: You're listening to a message from The Church at Rutledge. For more information about TCAR, please visit thechurchatrutledge.org. We're glad you're here, and of course, as always, our desire is to relay biblical truth in a relevant way, and the Bible is our authority in our doctrine, our teaching here as a church, in our lives, that's the main thing to us. And I hope today brings you closer to God and the plan he has for your life. And we say around here, this is a safe place to hear a dangerous message, right? So it's it's safe because we don't do the pressuring. It's not my job to pressure you. We just present the truth. Here it is. Here's what God says. And, and then we let the Holy Spirit do his job, which is to convict and put any pressure or move you in a certain way, we just present it and you decide what to do with that. And so um, Holy Spirit's job to put any pressure on you, not mine. So I hope you respond positively to what God would say to you today and take a step toward God today maybe or this week. And so um, I know she just prayed, but I'd like to pray uh, again here before we get more into the book of Mark. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. I just pray you would um, speak clearly through it, that your Holy Spirit would just just come through in a way that I can't. My words are just words. It's got to come from you, is what our hope is. And so, Father, would you do what only you can do? We thank you for your son, Jesus. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, as we'll talk about today, that hope that that brings. the. The mission and the purpose that that brings to our lives, we're just thankful for that. And so, thank you for your Son Jesus. It's in His name we pray. Amen. And so we're going through the Book of Mark. We're in Chapter Five today. Is where we are. Uh, Want to introduce today's script. This is almost a backwards sermon. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna explain some things at the beginning and some other scriptures, and then get to the scripture, which will then Go oh you know that all that related to, to what's going on today so it's almost backwards instead of um, you know just reading the scripture and then trying to to come around behind that and go that way but I want to introduce today's scripture by giving you a, a it's just a really great biblical principle that you would see throughout the book of Mark uh, especially in the last part of chapter four that there's three stories there that we kind of or skipping over, I you know, if we if I covered everything in the Book of Mark, it would take us a couple of years to get through it. Um, so some of this stuff we have to go past, but it's like this is the principle from those things. And so remember, we like to take things in context. That's why it's important that I'm like, hey, this is what all that in the end of chapter four is pointing towards, so we can fully understand what's coming in chapter five. And so, as followers of Christ, our main goal is to be image bearers of God as he created us in his image and in bearing his image on the earth we bring glory to him in our, through our worship by pointing everything to him everything around us, everyone around us hopefully sees the image of God in us and sees God for who he really is and, and they therefore become worshipers of God themselves they see God in us through the things we do and we say and God gets glory in that. So we're hoping that people we can show God to become the image bearers themselves that they were made to be, and thus bringing more glory to God. So the principle this morning we're talking about is is being multiplying. Okay, that's the the key word for today. um, Multiplying image bearers, so therefore increasing the worship and exaltation of God by multiplying that. That that started in the beginning back in Genesis, okay? When God created mankind, he wanted us to be fruitful and multiply, right? And that wasn't just the intent was not just a physical thing, although the more people there are worshiping God, the more glory the better, right? Okay, so he wanted us to be fruitful and multiply, more so in a in a spiritual sense than a physical sense. And then he has all this covenants, so you know, he comes in with Abraham, with Moses, the the covenants he makes through the Old Testament. And the deal was what with those folks? Like with Abraham, right? I will make you a great nation. I will make your descendants as many as as the stars of the sky, you know, all that stuff. So it was, I will multiply your people, right? But for what end? To what end was that? What was the purpose of that? To fill the earth with God-glorifying people, okay? And so that's our primary function on this earth. Always been the point, still is today, and we see taught in the New Testament, Jesus came to redeem mankind, make them right with God, eventually opening up the gospel not just to the Jews but to the Gentiles, all people, so that his glory would be even more multiplied on the earth, right? That's always been the intent, the goal. And so like 1 Corinthians 8.6 says, Yet for us there is but one God, you know, we believe in the Trinity around here, and it's one God. It's three distinct persons, but one God, right? We've been over that many times and explained all that as best we can. Yet for us, there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him. Like, that's pretty plain. Do so you ever go, why, why, why am I here? What's, what's, well, I exist for him. I exist for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through Him. Okay, you get that? We exist for God through Jesus Christ, because He's made the way, right? Why do you exist? Why do we exist? Why does the church exist? It exists for Him. God made possible through our Lord Jesus Christ that we would exist and, and everything we are is about him. It's for him. So whatever you're looking for in other places of satisfaction, right? As though there are such things. Wherever you're looking for real life, for, for real purpose, fulfillment, identity, any of those things, you're if you're not looking for it in the one who made you, who created you, then you're looking in places that you'll never really find yourself, right? I mean, you hear people, have you ever heard somebody say, I just need to just need to go find myself, right? Anybody ever hear anybody say that, right? Your kids, I got to just do it on my own and find myself, right? You will find who you really are in Christ. That's the only place you're going to really find that. You just read the Bible doesn't mean if you become a Christian, you're to become some, I mean, because this is why people are like cookie-cutter Christians, if I become a Christian, then I'm going to become this kind of person who carries around the big family-sized Bible and just, like, is really weird, right, and talks different, and whatever. But you, know, you know, we say it around here often, if you're weird, you're just weird, it's not because you're a Christian, okay? And that's okay, you know, if you want to be weird, like, I like weird people, it's okay. Love everybody. But if you're weird, you're just weird. It's not, not because of that. See, people liked Jesus because he was loving and kind and merciful and there were all these attributes about him that even though he would present truth, it was he was full of grace and truth. Like he loved people and he presented it in a way that just said, Here's the truth. But I love you and we're still friends and I like we you know, whatever. But here's the truth about it, and you gotta make a decision, you know? People liked Jesus because he was loving and kind. And if Scripture tells us we're to be like Jesus and find real life in Him, we have to. If we follow Him, then that's where we'll find real purpose, real life. Then there's there's some implications to that about what we're to be doing here. So that so in the parables we've skipped that we, um, the ones we've seen and the ones we've skipped, like the parable. Uh, It's just called the parable of the seed in Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 26. Um, And then the parable of the mustard seed, starting in chapter 4, verse 30. All are about multiplying followers of Christ. That's, That's the point of all that, okay? It's about something greater than yourself. It's about something God wants to do through you to multiply supernaturally his glory on the earth, okay? That is ultimate purpose and the greatest adventure you will ever go on, I promise, okay? I mean, I never imagined, like I, high school, college, I get out of college, just become a Christian, like I never imagined growing up that my life would turn out the way it's turned out, neither would any of my high school friends who still, I've told you all the story, the guy, that, so what are you doing these days, 20-year high school reunion, right? What are you doing these days? he tells me what he's doing, and then he goes to take a drink, and i am he's like, what are you doing these days? And I'm like, well, you won't believe this, but I'm a pastor, and I started a church, and literally went, <laughs> and spits out his drink, and starts laughing, like it was straight out of a movie, and he goes, that's the funniest blinking thing I've ever heard, you know, and just, I was like, thanks, appreciate it, you know, but he knew me, he knew what I was like before, so I never imagined, and neither did anybody else, that I would be doing this, and like I was talking to somebody this morning. I've been to God has sent me to Brazil and Venezuela and Honduras and and different places in the United States, and just the, the adventure has been crazy. Start you know being a youth pastor and starting a church and like like that was not in my twenty year plan for my life when I was in college. Okay, that I had, it was not even on the radar. It's amazing what God can do with you if you just start talk, because people ask me, they're like, so when did you announce your call to preach? I don't think I ever did. Like, and some people are like, oh, it's not valid. But like, no, listen, okay? It's like, so how did I end up here? I don't know, okay? I just started following God, and this is where I ended up. That's all I can say. I don't, I don't know much else about how this happened, okay? And I just hope you will, too. Just follow God, and wherever he... it'll be amazing, okay? It may not be easy. Like, none of it's been easy, okay? I'm way off track, okay? So why did God send Jesus into the world? If you read the Bible, it's easy, very plain, no mistake to be made on this from the Bible, okay? Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man has came to seek and to save that which was lost. Like, how much more simple could it be? As far as, here's the, purpose here's why he came right what was lost was this right relationship with God in mankind that would allow them to be the proper image bearers who brought glory to God that they were made to be like that was broken by the curse by the fall of man okay sin messed all that up so now they no longer reflected God the way they're supposed to and to, to get that righteousness or right standing with God back again Jesus had to come and to save that which was lost, that right relationship, they, so that we could multiply his glory on the earth. Look at Romans, I'll show you Romans 15, 7 through 12, okay? It says this, therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. There's a whole sermon right there I'd love to hit on, but um, how we're to be with one another, but. For I say that Christ has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God to confirm the promises given to the fathers. It's like this is all one continuous thing. This has been, there's this plan that's been in place, Old Testament through the the fathers all the way into when Christ came and to us now, right? Like this is, it's saying this is all the same deal, okay? It's all about Jesus, always been about Jesus and this plan for salvation and God's glory on the earth, okay? And for the Gentiles, it says it right here. And for the Gentiles to glorify God for His mercy, as it is written. Then he quotes like Second Samuel and Deuteronomy, and apart from a couple places from Psalms and Isaiah, and he says this, starting with a Second Samuel quote. I think it's verse chapter twenty-two. Therefore, I will give praise to you among the Gentiles, and I will sing to your name. They're praising God. They're praising him for what he's doing among these people who are lost, right? Again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. Again, Isaiah says, there shall come the root of Jesse and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles hope. Okay? So there's all this, here's why this happened, so that they could receive this same salvation and glorify God and give him praise and, and point everything to him. I like John Piper said this really well, so I'm gonna read you I've got this quote and another one in a little bit, but John Piper said the point of the Old Testament quotations in Romans fifteen that 9 through 12, these Old Testament quotations, is to show that God's purpose in dealing with Israel was always to reach the other nations and to be glorified in them for his mercy. Therefore, when God sent Christ into the world, the purpose was not only to confirm his promises to Israel, but also through that to cause the nations to glorify God for his mercy. Okay, you see this plan. And it's multiplying his glory, multiplying his glory. What's going to create that in us? We see his mercy and how much he loves us, that he would die for us to bring him back to himself. So we praise him and go, he's so good, man. I just, I want to glorify God for his mercy and for the grace that he's given me. What mercy? That God would send his world and send his, send Jesus into the world to save sinners. God sent his son into the world to save sinners of all kinds, all nations, every tongue, tribe, all that, so that they would glorify him for his mercy. Therefore, being the image bearers, God made them to be in multiplying that image and glory. So you've heard me talk about this before, if you've been here before. There, there is still something lacking in what Jesus did on the cross. There's two places that it talks about that in scripture very plainly. But I would change it to say, let's let's not use the word lacking. Maybe, but there's something not yet complete. Does that make more sense? Okay. In the mission of Jesus, there's still something not yet complete. And you're like, whoa, that's that's doesn't sound right. What is not is lacking or not complete, and therefore, you know, why I, why you gather here today, and the church gathers in the world it's why the church is here is to steward the gospel what is not yet complete is that there are still people who need to know about jesus and the good news the gospel to know the news of his mercy and grace okay what brings about the the end of times the end of the world for us is when all the nations know right it's the evangelism of the nations so what's not yet complete is that evangelism of the nations. When that happens, then in the, the end of all these things comes, right? So we are the continuation through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit in us. We are the continuation of the mission of Jesus to seek and to save that which was lost, Okay. The mission of Jesus has been passed on to the church. That is the main thing here. Not buildings, not budgets, not more comfort, not programs, not anything else is not the point. All those things might be used for the purpose, like we have to have some of those things. But, but somehow, at times, those things seem to hide or get lost. The purpose gets lost in those things. But the main thing is to seek and to save that which was lost. So therefore, what we do here, our strategies, our methods, our actions, our budgets, our buildings, our music, our programs, all those things must have a priority of seeking and saving that which was lost. Those things we do to seek the, to seek and save the lost have high priority in the church, okay? So when we gather and we worship and sing and praise God and listen to the word preached and, and do this, the end result that should drive in us as believers is to have this grateful heart for the mercy of God for us and that we get so compelled by that that we go out and tell about God's mercy and grace, right? Without that compulsion to share about what made today great while we worshiped or read the Word or like all those warm fuzzies we get at church sometimes, and, man, the worship was so good and singing and I just loved God and, and just man that thing we had going on it was just a good time of worship or whatever okay to 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 experience that without a compulsion to go out and share I would say is to miss the point because to, to go I'll go further to go to your small group on Tuesday Wednesday whatever night you go And talk about the Scriptures and encourage each other and learn and grow and help each other through life's struggles and to persevere and to stir each other up, to love and good works, to to do things like that. And without a compulsion or drive produced to share the gospel is to miss the point. Even though you may go to small groups and go, oh, I love these little, I love all my people, right? Right? we took food to so-and-so, and we prayed for so-and-so, and we did all these things, and I oh, it just feels so good being there, and I don't ever want this to end my group of friends, right? Without that driving in us this compulsion to go, man, I love this group of friends, and we took food to so-and-so, we did all these things, and man, God's mercy is so good, and it's so good, I can't help but go out and tell somebody. Like, without that compulsion to go, we need to think together, how do we... How do we get more people to experience this great thing I'm experiencing? Like without that being the end result, it's just missing the point, right? It's not the Sea of Galilee, it's a dead sea, okay? that was a strange analogy, but you understand what I'm saying if you understand what those things are, okay? Like it's got to have something flowing out. It's a, we got to be pipes, not pots. It's not, oh, thank you, God, for all these wonderful blessings. This is for me. No, I'm a pipe. I go, thank you for this, and I'm going to be a conduit onto somebody else. Like, that's the whole, like, we have to get that, right? And it's great because when we share the gospel, fueled by great worship, fueled by a great time in a small group and being encouraged by people, supported by people, we get, you know, when we go out and share the gospel, sharing the gospel, whether it goes well, doesn't go well, they say yes, they say no, it drives us back to that small group for encouragement, for celebration, to worship, it drives us back to those things because of our excitement and gratitude for God using us in the world and sharing, and so we come back to worship, and, and we're constantly being brought back to the focus of sharing the gospel again, and again, this, this system drives itself, okay? Here's the quote from John Piper, again, he says it this way, I regard it as extremely important to see how these three priorities relate to each other. Worship towards God, exhortation toward each other, and witness toward the world. In one sense, growth in each of these priorities intensifies growth in the other two. Okay? So number one, the deeper your adoration of God and worship, the more precious to you will be the assembly of his people, and more compelling will be his purpose to seek and to save the lost. Okay? there's worship. Number two, giving and receiving biblical exhortation in a loving support group will cause your heart to long more to go hard after the holy God and will give you courage and excitement to plan your life for the cause of witness and missions. And then number three, the more you strategize and fight to liberate Satan's captives in the world to share the gospel, the more you will be driven back to your fellow believers for prayer and encouragement And the more you will delight in God when you see him show his power through you. So in a sense, each priority intensifies the others. Genuine growth in one area leads to growth in the other two. And no one should ever say he is called only to one or two of the priorities. All are essential to Christian obedience. Okay, you get that? So he would say seeking the glory of God and seeking the salvation of the lost are not two distinct or separate goals. It's the same thing. Hopefully you see that. So, that was my quick intro to Mark chapter 5. Okay, so when we get to Mark chapter 5, short explanation, point about, back to what I am just, just talked about. Okay, backwards sermon, okay? I realize that. Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20 says this. And this is, this is following some stuff that we've skipped, the mustard seed, um, going across the sea. They've gone across the sea, and you know the part where he goes down to take a nap, the storm comes up, and they're like, don't you care that we're about to die? And he's like, oh, you have a little faith, and he calms the storm. And Okay, that's, they go across, and when they get across, this is where we are in chapter 5. And I'll explain more about that in just a minute. They came to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gerasenes, when he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him, and he had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain, okay, because he had been on meth. No, that's not what it says. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces. And no one was strong enough to subdue him, Okay. Constantly night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gnash, gashing himself with stones, seeing Jesus from a distance. This is so incredible. I, this is the stuff that's like when I get to heaven, I'm like, can you play that film because I want to see it. Like that. Like this is just incredible to me, okay? I read this stuff, and I believe it actually happened. It's not just some story to make a point, okay, that's made up. It's just it's, I can't imagine, this is just incredible, okay? Constantly nine days he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself from the sun. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. And shouting with a loud voice, he said, and I, there again, I, right there, I want to go, okay, was it the demons that made him do that, the possession, or did he do that himself? Because as we see, the demons always know who Jesus is, but rarely do the religious leaders and other people get right who Jesus is as he walks the earth, right? What business do we have with each other? Jesus, the son of the most high God. I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, what's your name? And he said to him, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain, the demons implored him, saying, "Send us into the swine, so that we may enter them." This is like when I read this, and then what happens? I'm like, they were asking for something, and they got what they asked for, but it didn't quite turn out the way they thought it would turn out, right? It's like the stories where you see that you know the guy finds the genie, and he gets three wishes, and he wishes for something, but he didn't word it just right, so it turned out bad, right? Like this is this guy. This this is legion. These demons, right? So Jesus gave them permission, and coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. Their herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and in the country. When you first read that, you're like, okay, so they went to the authorities like, dude owes me 2,000 pigs, okay? That's, that's not necessarily what happened. It says, And the people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion, and they became frightened. Isn't that strange? This guy's been healed. He's no longer possessed. And it freaks people out, right? And they began to implore him, talking about Jesus, capital H, Him to leave the region. So he heals this guy, and they're like, What'd you do that for? Now we've got to put up with him. You know, okay. And he did not let him. I skipped ahead, sorry. Verse 18. And he was getting into the boat. The man who had been demon possessed was was imploring him that he might accompany him. So he's like, This guy is begging Jesus, let me go with you. And Jesus did not let him, but he said to him, Go home to your people. And report to them what great things the Lord has done for you, and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. And I can't imagine, like one of the things I think about reading this is the disciples standing there, like taking all this in and going, okay, we get to follow Jesus, and we got to watch this. You're sending him back in these people. Like, the preparation this had to be for the disciples for what the future held for them, and they had no idea. Like the missionary journeys, the places they were going to go and spread the gospel, and it was like, this is the tough place to go. I want to show you what it's like to go. Like this was, I'll talk about it in a second, is the toughest place they could have approached. This, this is like the hardest, most scariest place they could have been to. Given what this place was. But Jesus had a specific purpose for crossing the Sea of Galilee to go to this place where no one would go. So understand something here. These guys were used to going up and down the shore, right? They were used to being on the shore or on the sea, and they were used to maybe going out so far, maybe halfway. That's about all, all that all that it was, out to the middle of the lake, but never to the other side. They never they were taught you don't go over there. Right, because the other side of the lakes is called this is called Decapolis. Now, the Decapolis is an area consisting of like ten cities, ten pagan cities. Okay, it was also referred to as the land of the seven in Jewish tradition, and we find this outside of biblical sources as well as in the Bible. It was it was where the inhabitants of the land fled to when Joshua crossed the crossed into the promised land to take it They, a lot of them, those who could escape went to the other side of the lake and formed the Decapolis okay? it was the land of seven because among them were seven foreign gods that these people worshipped and if you were a Jewish boy or girl you never ever ever went to the Decapolis not to the land of the seven you don't go there okay and Jesus tells them to go over to the other side and they're like we can't go over there like I can imagine they're going, we're going the other side. Like, you just don't we don't do that, right? And Jesus says, sure, come on, get in the boat. And while we're going over there, I'm gonna go lay down and take a nap. And they're like, What? Like, you can't just like you realize where we're going and we're gonna cross this We've never even been across the sea. Right? I mean, there's there's place there's places where I think I think it's Luke calls calls the all that under the sea, the abyss, because they, there's, there's tradition there too. They thought the demons all were at the bottom of the sea, and it doesn't help that the pigs run down there, right? So they're, they in their mind, there's all this crazy stuff going on, and then a big storm comes up. Like you can read about all that stuff, right? He goes to take a nap, and. At chapter 4, verse 35 through 41, they get freaked out of the storm. They're not going to make it across. They're, they're thinking, we're not even going to get there, much less we don't want to go there, right? Jesus challenges their faith after calming the storm, and they get to the other side, and who's the first person they see? A naked man with broken chains hanging off of him, right? I don't know what you'd be thinking, but I'd be thinking I've signed up for the wrong mission, Right? And this guy has shackles on his arms and cuts over his body and he's yelling and acting crazy. Great welcome to the land, right? And, and the twelve are like, it's worse than we thought. We have to go home. You know, I, I wish it would record recorded like some of their little conversations off to the side right? when this is going on. This guy was so crazy and such an outcast that he had been chained to tombs in a cemetery and had broke free and now he runs into Jesus. And again, interesting that as you'll see here, that the people in the Gospels who knew who Jesus was wasn't the religious leaders. The Pharisees often mistake who he is, think he's some prophet or whatever. As we read before, they thought he was in cahoots with Satan, right? Or even the the disciples, but the most shunned, outcast, most hurting and despised people and the demons seem to always get who Jesus is. And this guy was possessed by demons, and and it says, seeing him from a distance, he runs up and bows before him um, and shouting with a loud voice, what business do we have together? Jesus, Son of Most High God, I implore you, don't don't torment me, right? And Jesus then asks, what's your name? And the demons say, my name is Legion, we are many. And then all of a sudden these random herdsmen appear out of nowhere, like with their pigs, right? And the demons beg to send them far away, not to send them far away, but rather into those pigs. These guys are casually herding by, and so Jesus casts them into the pigs. Pigs go crazy, steep hill in the sea, and they die. And and random herdsmen are like, my pigs, right? They're like, and run to town and tell what happened. Come back to ask him to leave, right? Then this man who was possessed, now healed, thanks Jesus, asks Jesus, can I go with you? And it's like Jesus says, that's not why I came. That's not the purpose. Like if you go all the way back to the beginning, that doesn't match up with the purpose. I've come over here for a reason. You need to go and proclaim what's happened to you today and what I'm doing among your people. You're the best person. Isn't it crazy he would pick this guy? You are the best person in this whole land of Decapolis, in the ten cities. You're the best person to send there because all these people know who you are and they know how messed up you are or were. And now that you are at peace and in your right mind, you've been changed, you've been healed, I've reconciled you to God so that you could go reconcile others to him because that's Now go and see how I use you. The best missionaries are not people who come from a foreign land and that's how it's initiated, right? The the ones who become most effective with that people group are usually from that people group, right? So as much as I go to Honduras, I go there, teach seminary to to support church planners. We we don't we don't we're not looking to send the, even though somebody might be called. There's some guys out of Texas down there right now, move their families down there. But I, I go to support and encourage we as a church, the coffee, all these things we do to help support that down there is is so they can reach the people there. That's it's the most effective way to do it. We're gonna build up leaders and support those guys in planting churches. The best missionaries are often those from their own culture. And obviously, somebody who's been changed as radically as this guy has would be very effective. That's, you know, um, I have to mention this because it's, it's the same story, really. There was a, I don't know if I can do this. There's a guy in Monte de Platano where we go. His name was Adolfo. And he was like mayor of the town. I mean, he's like the guy. Most kind, gentle. He's about this tall, wears a big white cowboy hat and boots, right? And he has this voice. It's like this big radio voice. I'm like, I wish I had that voice, right? Just awesome guy. He, he died last about a year ago. Has it been that long? Not that long. Last last year it's, it's just been a little while ago. And he died, but I he he was like this. Like he used to carry a pistol. You didn't mess with him. He had hurt a lot of people, done a lot of bad things, and everybody in town knew you don't mess with adolfism. Until he ran into Jesus and, and it changed him. Totally the other way, no more pistol, doesn't need to carry one. He, it's amazing the authority he still had in the town, but yet different, because they had seen a difference in him. Just an amazing guy. And, and, and his word was strong just because of the change in his life. And he's part of the church that was established there. Often that's the way it goes. It, but it's incredible what happened to this guy. We so often find that when people come to faith in Jesus, the people and, and or the church drags them out of everything they once knew, isolates them from their past. No, you don't need to be a part of any of that, right? But that's not what Jesus did right here. He Jesus said, it'd be too easy to take you with us and you just hang out with us and we can hang around the fire and hold hands and sing Kumbaya and that would be great, right? He says, but the harvest is plentiful and there's a a reason I came. I need workers. They are few. Actually, in this case, you're the only one in this whole place. Ten cities. You're it. Verse 20 says, and he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. Three chapters later in Mark 8, Jesus comes back to Decapolis. And when he arrives, you you know that story? He arrives and there are 4,000 hungry people waiting to hear the teaching of Jesus from this one guy that started the whole thing. They're like, gathering on a hill, we want to hear Jesus. Because we know what this guy has told us. Hungry spiritually, physically. Jesus performs a miracle feeding the 4,000. And they were there because the demon-possessed man who was out of his mind met Jesus. His life changed and was commissioned as the first missionary. And he used his own story of redemption. And God used it to reach others. And that's what you and I need to do. That's, that's, the, that's the deal. Use your story of redemption. Tell others what Jesus has done for you how he had mercy on you and grace, and God will use you also. And that's the point of what he's wanting to do. Some of you don't think God can use you. You just don't. You keep bringing up what you did in the past. And look, if God can use a a naked and cut-up crazy guy to reach ten pagan cities, he can use you, I promise. Okay? There's no lack of power there to do that. I think he can use you. Given this man's circumstances and yours, thank God, think what God could do with you. For those of you who are Christ followers, you, you have a story. And how often do you share it? You have a story that you've intersected with Jesus and received his mercy, and you're not like you used to be. All I have to do is tell people I'm a pastor. And they're like, what? Right? Yeah, it's crazy. You just have to let them see what you're like now, and it'll create conversations. And you tell them about Jesus and his mercy and grace toward you. And I pray today leads you to go and be an image bearer that multiplies God's glory on this earth. It's what you were made for, and that never gets old or boring. If you continue to worship him, are encouraged by his people. And share your faith with others. It does not get boring or old, okay? And I just want to challenge you guys, especially in small groups. Multiply is a big part of what should come out of those groups. That's what should happen here, planting churches, multiplying groups. And I know we love, we don't want to disturb what's going on in my, my group, man, and we just having a good time. And, oh, we're all growing spiritually. Well, if you are, then you start talking about birthing a new group. How do we drive towards reaching people? How do we drive towards starting a new group and multiplying? If if you're really doing so well and it's so good, it eventually gets there, okay? If not, something's off. It just is, biblically, okay? Your worship should not be self-centered and, oh, man, that felt so good and I'm going to go home today now. and oh forget that prayer walk thing I got a football game to watch tonight or I'm going to go play golf or I'm going to do this there's more important things to do than that prayer walk the man worship was good and God knows I love him and he loves me like that you miss you're missing something right don't let it be so self-centered it should push you to be outward focused so let's pray For those of you who don't know the mercy and grace of God through Jesus, you can have that right now, right? There's a great purpose he has for your life. No matter what you've done, no matter who you are, just turn to him. That's that big word repentance you hear about in church. It's just simply turning from yourself and your sin and turning to Jesus. You see, man, Jesus loves me. He died for me on the cross, in my place for my sin, that I could be forgiven. And the point of being forgiven is so that I could glorify Him here on this earth, enjoy a relationship with Him forever, but to bring glory to Him, to multiply His glory on the earth. So God, I, right now, I just, best I know how, I give myself to You. I'm turning for myself and my sin, and I'm turning to Jesus. And I'm putting my faith in what He did for me that that forgives me, that the Holy Spirit will come inside and empower me to live this life and go on this adventure you have for me. So you just have that conversation with God and you just turn that over to Him. And if that's you and you're doing that this morning and you're turning your life over to God through Jesus Christ, please let us know about that so we can help you in your next steps and get you connected to these other things we've been talking about. But for the rest of us, Father, would you use us to multiply your glory on the earth? Would you, would we worship and connect in small groups and, and be encouraged to persevere? Would, would those things happen? May we not lose focus on your plans. May we not lose focus of the ultimate purpose in each of those things. May we not get distracted by this world, but we may, may we find ourselves in You, satisfied in You, and loving those around us as they see You in us. May we open our mouths and share about Your mercy and grace. Tell others the good news of Jesus so they too may receive it. Father, thank You for Your church. In this church, that sees this purpose and all things that drive this place to that end of, of just glorifying you and seeing your image multiply. Father, I thank you for that, for the people that see that. May that spread throughout this place, and may we see something amazing happen. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.